Hello and welcome to the New School OBGYN podcast, a podcast in women's health, but for everyone. Our goal is to promote good and reliable knowledge because the source of your information matters. My name is Eric Schmidt. I'm a board certified OBGYN, and today I have with me Taryn Mioka. Welcome back, Taryn. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm hoping that my audio with Taryn this time is better. <laughs> we had another hiccup, but I think I got it. Um, and so uh, today we're going to be talking about nausea in pregnancy. Um, and uh, please consider downloading and following along. We're in all the major podcast hosts and check us out on YouTube for the video podcast as I hope to get that up in the near future. Again, Taryn uh, is one of our physician associates, um, and she's uh, from the Pacific Northwest also, and also a graduate of University of Washington, and did her PA school in Wake Forest. Okay. And so why are we talking about nausea and vomiting in pregnancy, or may it, as it may be called, um, is morning sickness? Uh, Why is it significant? Uh, well, it can impact the quality of life and sometimes significantly. And whether this is work, um, ability to do things like exercise, relationships, um, social uh, interactions, uh, it's one of the leading causes of hospitalization. Um, and uh, so hopefully we can discuss some safe uh, interventions and to minimize, um, and so we're not minimizing the morning sickness. Uh, so why do I have Taryn with me today? Well, on this podcast, she's announcing to everyone <laughs> that she's pregnant. Yeah, I am. Congratulations. Oh, thanks. Guess who my OB is? This guy. <laughs> um, I'm making her come here. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so hopefully we can get some both uh, good professional and personal experience with this, um, because I know Taryn's been battling that. Yeah. Um, and so uh, go ahead, Taryn, with some of the information about um, nausea in yeah. pregnancy. So just some general information not pertaining to me, but nausea affects about 50 to 80% of pregnant people. Um, the emesis, or what we call vomiting, is about 50%. Uh, usually it happens or starts happening about uh, before nine weeks, and it's hard to say whether or not you'll have a recurrence if you get pregnant again. Um, that can be kind of unpredictable. About 15 to 81% of people can experience it again. Um, do male or female fetuses cause more nausea and vomiting? Uh, I'll be interested about your input. I know that I've heard when people are trying to decide on gender, just using those kind of clues, that I've heard females cause more nausea and vomiting. That is correct. Okay. Um, but... Whether or not strong, that's true. I don't think it's a strong association, but no. statistically, I think they potentially see more with the female um, yeah. sex of the baby. Um, I guess for me, that's not true because based on my testing, it was male fetus and I've had... Another announcement on this channel. Yet. Oh, yeah, wow. I guess so. Well, you guys are getting all the tidbits. Um, and then nausea and vomiting can lead to what we call hyperemesis gravidarium. 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 Uh, which is basically just the extreme end of the spectrum in terms of nausea and vomiting. Um, this can occur in up to 3% of pregnancies. Kind of the trademarks of this are 5% of weight loss and some evidence of abnormalities such as ketonuria, so ketones in your urine, electrolyte abnormalities, and other organ system effects. Um, and we can talk about how you can tell if you're dehydrated if you're 
having nausea and vomiting and can't keep anything down. I mean, one of the best ways is to look at your urine or your pee um, and the color of it. Because if it is a clear to lightly tinged yellow, you're usually well hydrated. Um, If it is dark, almost orange, um, and you're having significant nausea and vomiting, you need to let your provider know because um, you're starting to become dehydrated. um, And that can come with other symptoms too. Uh, so when we look at this, we say, well, why does this happen? Um, and, uh, or what causes this? Uh, and it's actually kind of unknown. We have kind of accepted that it's the pregnancy hormones, uh, specifically HCG, uh, or the human chorionic gonadotropin, uh, because this, uh, elevates early in pregnancy and, and that's usually in those, you know, six to eight weeks, nine weeks, 10 weeks, it started to elevate and that it plateaus a little bit and then starts to go down a little bit. And so that's correlates with um, when the most severe nausea and vomiting in pregnancy is in that first kind of mid to, to latter first trimester of the pregnancy. Um, but, you know, there's no, you know, there's people that have no nausea and vomiting in pregnancy. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people are jealous of that, but um, the, but their hormone levels are just as high. So it's it's definitely variable. Uh, there's also an increase in estrogen. We know that estrogen through uh, birth, like higher doses of um, hormones, not in pregnancy that we use, but um, birth control pills, things like that. One of the side effects of that can be nausea. So potentially uh, a couple different complicated factors. Uh, and we see that there's an increase in HCG um, hormone with more placental tissue. And so specifically with um, with uh, twins or multi-gestation pregnancies, there's an increase in nausea, more severe nausea um, with, with those pregnancies. Uh, another thought of why um, nausea uh, may be prevalent is maybe an evolutionary adaption. Um, and, you know, this could be, well, uh, certain aversions because first trimester is a very fragile, delicate time. We want to, you know, all the organ systems of baby are growing. Um, that's really when we harp on, you know, the, a good diet, really things to avoid or uh, situations to avoid. And so maybe there's an evolutionary component for all these aversions or these nausea. Um, that's not well proven or studied. It's kind of a theory. Um and so, uh, yeah, and then even more of a theory and um, is maybe there's a psychological predisposition, uh, and this is very varied um, on opinion and evidence is not great, but there's a thought that specific personality traits uh, or psychological diagnoses may predispose to increased nausea and vomiting in pregnancy, uh, and that is questionable at best. So. Yeah, moving on. Uh, one often kind of a concern that I get from patients is, well, they're worried about their baby. They're worried about how, well, how, this mal- malnutrition or just, you know, they're not usually having a normal diet um, because, you know, the, whether it's just some light nausea or some food aversion, you're not uh, really eating normal or what you did prior to pregnancy. That was probably for you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and often there's a little bit of weight loss. Um, and so the, yeah, the, 
Um, can it be dangerous? No, it, it, it's not. Um, the pregnancy is very small. The, the nutritional demand is not high in uh, the first trimester. And so even with a very significant weight loss or hyperemesis gravidarum where you're, you're, you're really malnourished, you're getting electrolyte abnormalities, um, we really don't see an increase in harm to baby. Um, it can, you know, but it can be, you know, potentially dangerous to mom. And that's why sometimes there's hospitalization to help correct, um, and, and more interventions, which we'll talk about later to, um, to help make mom feel better and healthier. So, uh, and now prevention, um, go ahead, Taryn, with, you know, some recommendations and also personal. Yeah. Uh, can it be prevented? Um, so some evidence shows that starting a prenatal vitamin or multivitamin can maybe reduce the incidence. I didn't find that to be true. Um, I was taking yeah. a prenatal vitamin. Even beforehand? Yeah. Even before the pregnancy? Before, yeah. Before, yeah. Uh, which we recommend doing in general. But yeah. And then, you know, when people are having nausea and vomiting, a lot of times they stop taking their prenatal vitamin because sometimes it can be a trigger for nausea for some. So there's always a little bit of difficulty with that there. But didn't find it helped me. Um, some dietary changes, um, less published, but general, pretty general recommendations I think everyone tends to make are trying to have smaller meals, um, potentially more frequent meals instead of three big meals a day, maybe six to eight small meals, um, avoiding spicy, fatty, acidic foods, and trying to have high-protein snacks. I think this is something I try to emphasize with patients because they're worried about their nutrition-like intake. And trying to emphasize, like, if you're going to eat a small amount, just trying to have it a little bit more nutrient-dense can be helpful. Um, but also just doing what you can because it's a little difficult. And non-meat protein, like dairy, nuts, protein powder, and shakes can be um, a good way if meat's just not sitting very well. What kind of tea are you drinking right now? I'm drinking ginger tea. Yeah. Um, it's funny because I don't really like the taste of ginger in general. Like, I find it kind of overpowering. But this one's pretty pleasant. So... Uh, ginger supplements are found to sometimes help, like capsules, candies, tea, ginger ale. Um, I think I drink it because, you know, people say too. I don't think it really helped, but it's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> and then acupuncture at the P6 point at the wrist, which do you want to show us where that is? Because I don't know. I think it's right about here. <laughs> yeah. I first learned about this when I was on a, a boat and they were handing out those wrist mm, yeah. um, things for people who get nauseous. Um because there's some, you know, whether someone believes in acupuncture or not, yeah. you know, a lot of times when you're experiencing this nausea, vomiting, whether it's first time or not, you're just looking for something, right? Some improvement and to avoid worsening. Um, and so when, you know, some people are, again, if you miss prenatal vitamins or multivitamins, because you just can't stomach it, I don't worry about that. Mm -hmm. Like, take it when you can. And often, I mean, it's deemed morning sickness a lot because it's sometimes worse in the morning. Um, and so you don't have to take your prenatal or, or these medications in the morning. Actually, maybe it's better to take it at night. Mm -hmm. um, and so those are some things that you can do as long as there, you, you, there's no serious, um, if you have serious allergies to any of these things, something you can do even before you contact uh, your provider, newly pregnant, um, but I would let them know, even if you haven't had your first visit yet, call the office and hopefully they can guide you uh, for some treatments for before your first visit. Because a lot of times your first visit might be around eight to 10 weeks. Um, like we talked about, this usually happens before. Yeah. Uh, so 
medications that we can do. I kind of have my own algorithm that I've thought up. Our um, ACOG or our governing body for for our profession kind of has their theirs too, which is very similar. Um, but the nice thing about well. I'll, let me go back a little bit because some people are worried about starting medications again because we're wanting to reduce the number of things we take in pregnancy, but that we have to balance that against potentially um, some you know, the potential consequences of this nausea, vomiting, turning into things like hyperemesis. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I don't, especially for the first few medications, I don't, I try to emphasize patients not to be too hesitant about. And those would be medications. Um, like vitamin B6 and doxalamine or brand name diclegis comes as a combination pill, um, or you can take them separately. Doxalamine is Unisom. You can get both of these over the counter. Um, and you really can't take too much B6, but generally 25 to 50 milligrams um, once or twice a day uh, would be perfect. Um, doxalamine um, will make you a little bit sleepy. Unisom is an over-the-counter treatment for um, insomnia, and so that could make you uh, a little bit of tired. So again, maybe good to take at night. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, similar medication, medications like Benadryl, so those antihistamines can be beneficial. Uh, and again, but will make you sleepy. But these are usually generally accepted, very safe things to take in pregnancy. So you can pick these up or the support persons. Um, I'm sure Parker has helped you a lot yeah, with. Yeah, he's helped me a lot. <laughs> and he's going to be very happy about his first mention on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so now we're, you know, if those aren't completely making it this tolerable, uh, there's a bunch of other medications um, that we can do. Uh, and so uh, there's other medications like Compassine, Reglan. You can take those um about three times a day, uh, and no serious adverse effects that um, can be associated with that that we're aware of. Um, and I'm off. And uh, also, there's a medication called Zofran or Ondasteron, and that's probably the strongest medicine we have. Uh, and so, um, there's some more recent mixed studies on whether or not there can be increased risks of. Um, some potential like cardiac defects. Um, and these are on the order of, um, you know, like a couple increase in a thousand. And so it's really not terribly significant, but because of that potential risk, we're saying, let's wait, try to wait until after 10 weeks to do the Zofran. Um, and, more severe refractory cases of hyperemesis, there are, you know, if those aren't working, not able to tolerate food, drink, um, uh, water, um, then we're, t- you know, often we're starting to get close to potentially admission, especially if there's electrolyte abnormalities. Um, and so one potential way to save admission is is a little subcutaneous pump. And we've used this with some success uh, for patients where, um um, home nursing comes and um, sets you up with a, a little subcutaneous um, infusion pump. So you're kind of getting a uh, continuous infusion of medication like Reglan or Zofran uh, to hopefully save admission. And also some of these medications uh, such as um, like the Phenagrin can be a rectal suppository, which doesn't sound great, but when we're bordering on admission to the hospital for this, um, it's something to try. 
Um, and just for a little tidbit, like we still have a couple of interventions uh, beyond that, such as steroids, but I think that's beyond the scope of our podcast here. Um, so yeah, um, what I say for nausea, vomiting, hyperemesis in, preg- in pregnancy, it's never too, um, it's never too early to contact your provider. If you're having symptoms, they can help guide you. Even if you have your, haven't had your first visit yet. Um, and don't be afraid to start some of these early interventions like we talked about. Um, and, uh, and another thing to, too, to, to keep in mind is there are other conditions which, uh, can cause nausea and vomiting, and it might not be necessarily nausea and vomiting in pregnancy. Uh, a couple things to watch out for is if all of a sudden your nausea and vomiting starts out of nowhere and it's beyond nine, 10 weeks, um, that's a little bit unusual. Um, and you should definitely bring that up with your provider. Uh, or if there's severe abdominal pain now with, a, um, with nausea and vomiting in pregnancy, you're going to have a little epigastric soreness, pain, potentially muscles are sore, uh, from dehydration or retching. Uh, but you know, you shouldn't have severe pain. So if you're having that, let us know or fevers, something like an enlarged thyroid gland, which is kind of like here on the neck. Um, if that, um, you know, thyroid is overactive, it can definitely be some, from some nausea associated with that. All right. I just talked a lot. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and so I want to hear a little bit about Taryn's experience, you know, when this, you know, with this pregnancy, first pregnancy, yeah. um, you know, when, when did it all start for you? Uh, I would say around six weeks it started for me. I have heard that people who have like that get motion sick or um, have issues with that. Sometimes they're a little bit more predisposed to having nausea and vomiting in pregnancy, which I do. So I was not super surprised, I guess, when I started experiencing yep. it, um, but wasn't happy about it. I think nausea is probably one of my least favorite bodily symptoms to like experience. Um, I did not experience vomiting like at all. Um, I think sometimes I would dry heave like early in the morning, but I would have nothing in my stomach to like give. And mm-hmm. so that was pretty much it. But the nausea around six weeks is when I really started noticing it. Um, yeah. And I wasn't established and I wasn't telling people at work that I was pregnant either. So I was kind of trying to manage it just with like the B- vitamin B6 and like doxylamine. And um, that wasn't super helpful. Um, for me, my general pattern, I would notice when I'd wake up in the morning, it'd be really bad especially on the days that I would have to go to work because I'd be waking up earlier um, on weekends if I'd be able to wake up like later in the day. Sometimes it wouldn't be as significant, but usually waking up around 6, 6.30, and then it would sometimes kind of go away around 10. And then I also would have um, nausea at night too, so before I'd go to bed as well. Yeah. So um, definitely not just morning sickness, but it was worse in the morning for me, for sure. Well, I mean – Sometimes what I hear from from patients and people going through this is the nausea sometimes is, you know, vomiting seems worse, but the nausea, you know, the unrelenting nausea or the yeah. recurring nausea can be just as bad of a component of it. Um, and it's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really is. And so try not to compare yourself to others. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, that and not comparing, not 
um, thinking something's abnormal yeah. if you're not having it or if you're just really severe, mm-hmm. like don't automatically think there's something wrong with a pregnancy because that's definitely not a, a correlation. Yeah. I think, you know, my appetite was really low because I was nauseous, but I think it was this balance of trying to eat because I noticed if my stomach was empty for a long period of time, it would make my nausea worse, but also you don't feel like eating when you're nauseous. So it was kind of hard to really find that balance of like trying to snack a little just to see if it would help, which sometimes it did. Other times it didn't. Um, so I think there's a little bit of that. You just kind of have to play with it and figure it out for you. Cause I did notice like if I did go a long time without eating because I was nauseous, it would get worse. And if I just ate a little bit of a snack, doesn't have to be big, it would make it a little bit better. So yeah. I think trying to encourage people to try that, even though I know it seems very unappetizing. Yeah, the, the brat diet. Yeah. If you recall learning, you know, <laughs> that. Um, I, it, bananas. Rice. I first have to think how to spell brat. And so rice, <laughs> applesauce. Yeah. Toast. Toast. Yeah. Crackers. Yeah. That's not part of the word, but. So you're nibbling on little bland things mm-hmm. um, because that might help. Like, like you said, it might help sometimes, mm-hmm. um, and it's gives you some nutrition, but then there's, uh, the, you know, it's actually, there's bad cases where any food will trigger it to go yeah. ca- cascade or snowball right. into a worse situation. And so, uh, when we're looking at hospitalized patients, often we're, you know, they're NPO, they're not eating because we, mm-hmm. we don't want to trigger it to worse until we get a hold of it with the medications right. and then slowly introduce things and so it, it's funny it's different for everybody it's mm-hmm. um um yeah so don't you know talk to your provider they're yeah. aware that it's different for everybody um but uh don't try to compare yourself too much to others that's yeah. just, just gets frustrating yeah the reglan and the zofran did work for me when i started taking them um so that's always nice to have something that does work i think some people are still kind of We'll still have nausea volume with those medications. Like I would still have breakthrough like nausea, um, but it still gave me enough. I feel like to get by. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that's so hard with anyone that has to do anything during their day, whether it's like take care of other little ones, go to work, or just take care of the house, or just literally do anything. Like it sucks when you have nausea or vomiting in pregnancy, and you know you're not like actually sick. So I had no excuse to not go to work, but like. I was talking to one of my colleagues about it, and they're like, it's kind of like you have the stomach flu and you just have to pretend you're fine and yeah. try to function normally. Yeah. Um, and it really sucks. <laughs> we can definitely tell Taryn's not herself because she's normally very, I mean, even now you're, you know, still, I yeah. feel like hindered about, and, and whether it's the nausea or the fatigue yeah. of early pregnancy too. Right. Um, it's it's hard to, to, to be normal, to do mm-hmm. all those daily things. And it can be, hard on you know psychologically yeah um i've definitely had patients where this has drove them absolutely you know up a tree nuts they're they're besides themselves that you know this you know how this can make them feel um but it's again the thing that needs to be discussed more and um and understand how how this can be yeah and i think just like missing your I mean, I guess I'm a kind of person, I miss my normal routine. And so like I used to work out four or five times a week before I was pregnant. And like the whole after really six weeks, I just have laid in bed. I can't really do anything. So I think you start to not feel like a normal person anymore um, because of what you don't feel up to doing. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's hard to deal with sometimes. 
you got to just sometimes make it through the first trimester, whether yeah. it's nausea, the fatigue, the anxiety, concern about mm. uh, miscarriage, like all pretty big draining factors about the first trimester. And you're not going to necessarily be yourself. I mean, there might be rare cases where people are, but, you know, we talked about things like exercise and that in pregnancy and mm -hmm. one of the earlier podcasts. And, um, and yes, we want that to happen, but also if you can't and you just need to lay there and rest and recuperate, I mean, definitely forgive yourself for, yeah. for and, and take it easy on yourself. Cause, um, just trying to, to get through the first, first trimester if I ever had to go through it, would be my least favorite. I already know it. I, I can't have a tummy ache. Yeah, we'll see. I can't have a tummy ache and work. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah. Anything else you wanted to add? Um, no, just, you know, keep trucking on. You got it. Yeah, it it does get better, even though it's hard to see sometimes. I don't know. I hit second trimester and I still had nausea this morning. So we'll see if it gets better. <laughs> Time well, will tell. Um, this podcast will come out whenever Taryn announces. So yeah. That's Announce nice. soon. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, well, thank you everyone for listening. And that's it for today's podcast. Um, if you have any questions, let us know in the YouTube comments or newschoolobgyn at gmail.com. As always, the content of this podcast and video are for educational purposes only. None of the content is meant for personal medical advice. Please contact your uh, provider if uh, you're in search of medical advice. Thank you and have a good day. Bye. Bye.